Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 45. It's April, everyone, which means spring is here, which means the weather is finally turning in Chicago. Although as I'm recording this, it's a real feel of 22 degrees with the possibility of snow later today. Yep, April in Chicago. And a new month around here means a new intention, which this month is energy as medicine. So all through this month of April, we'll be exploring the energy body as the blueprint for the physical body. And the idea that imbalances and symptoms first arise in the energy body, and then they show up in the physical body, the emotions and the mind. And so know that I have some really great conversations coming for you this month. So make sure you stay tuned all month. Speaking of which, I want to remind you that I'll be doing an Ask Me Anything episode at the end of April, and there's still time to submit your question for me. So if you'd like to be on the show, click the link in the show notes and you can leave me a voice message. And who knows, you might be on my first Ask Me Anything episode later this month. Okay, so back to today's episode and energy as medicine. Today, my guest is Justine Fadak, the Chief Marketing and Cultural Officer for Beyond, where I'm also the Director of Ayurveda. Now, I have to tell you, Justine is one of the most dynamic and fascinating people that I've met, and perhaps one of the kindest humans that I've met. And she's really, really inspiring, not only to me, but to everyone who meets her. Justine is a transformational, socially conscious marketing executive with deep experience in brand management and marketing operations. She was most recently global head of social media and sponsorships marketing for BMO Financial Group. After spending decades in the C-suite leading North American marketing teams, she decided to what she calls consciously uncouple from corporate life. Isn't that awesome? And share her inspiring story a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, managing mobility and chronic issues, suffering significant personal loss, yet still building an impactful career and purpose-driven happy life. Justine is also a recognized motivational speaker across the U.S. and Canada because she makes life's challenges feel more like opportunities with her uplifting stories. In our conversation, we discuss Justine's childhood and the differing viewpoints of energy that she was exposed to from her mother on the one hand and her grandfather on the other, which really shaped her unique perspective on life, on healing and on energy as medicine. Justine also shares her healing journey with multiple sclerosis and how integrating modern medicine with energy medicine and ancient healing systems has been the magic that has healed her. Justine's story is a story that we all share in so many ways. The tough yet regular life challenges that we all navigate but never talk about. Growing up with divorced parents, the sudden death of her first love, being diagnosed with a chronic, incurable illness, yet remaining positive and optimistic while building a productive and fulfilling life. 
I hope that you enjoy this very honest, very vulnerable, and very inspiring conversation with my friend and colleague, Justine Fadak, about her healing journey with MS and energy as medicine. Justine, I am so incredibly excited to have you on the podcast today. So thank you for joining me. I really appreciate you taking an interest in in having a conversation. So thank you. Well, absolutely. You know, I should give a little background to the listeners. You know, you and I met um, at Beyond, where I am the director of Ayurveda, and you are the chief marketing and culture, people culture. What's what is your title exactly? Well, I mean, culture culture is about people. So my title is marketing and culture. But yeah, culture is about people. Yes. And so we met there, been almost seven months now. And actually, we've had some really interesting conversations in which we've actually been interrupted by people telling us that they need to meet with us because we the time just flies by. <laughs> and a lot of that is, you know, not just that you're such an inspiring human being because of all of your experiences and the healing journey that you've been on with MS, but you also have a very open perspective about integrated medicine and energy as medicine, which is what we're talking about this month on the podcast. So I thought it would be really, really helpful and really interesting to have you on the podcast to sort of share your story. So we'll get into all of these things, but let's just start where I kind of like to start with a lot of people, which is, you know, tell us about your childhood, whatever you'd like to share. Yeah. I, I mean, I had a really fascinating childhood really, because I had a very traditional father, very stoic in his personality, very strong-willed, uh, a lawyer. I grew up in Canada, oh, a wonderful man, very, very deeply sensitive to his faith, our faith that, that I was raised in, which is Ukrainian Orthodox. And really because his father, my grandfather, was a priest so he was raised in a family in the Orthodox Church. A, a priest can marry before he takes his his vows, and then he he and his wife actually are considered to be uh, spiritually leading the congregation. And so my father was raised in a very modest environment, and but with a lot of of religious and spiritual faith. And so as a consequence, he had a very strong orientation. So I, I was very grounded as a child in certain aspects. But then on the flip side, you know, if you had a continuum, you'd say, what? This is impossible. How could, how could one human being have these two realities? On the flip side, my mother, who he had met when she was quite young in church, they went on to get married. They were the ideal couple, ended up basically leaving him and kind of becoming a hippie, living in a, in a home on a lake where there were many artists and hippies and people involved in spiritual and more psychic uh, activities, exploring, you know, a lot of different modalities and different faiths and different actions that at the time were probably frowned upon by mainstream. I mean, I remember actually as a child, and this is funny, Avanti, that we ate avocados. And I remember that that was very exotic because <laughs> people did not eat organic root vegetables and avocados. <laughs> and when we were in this sort of commune style environment, the foods were different. The clothing that my mother allowed us to wear was very different than the traditional, uh, very conservative environment of my father. And so I think that this, you know, dramatic break, my mother leaving him, that being very remarkable in a very tight knit religious community. Uh, you know, he was the priest's son. I think all of those things probably had 
more of an impact, but my father ended up raising us predominantly on his own. And my mother was quite destructive as a parent, but fascinating as a human being. So I think that the exposure that I had now that I look back, I would never have the perspective I do that you, that you find interesting to talk about had she not made those life choices. So how lucky for me to have those two people as my parents and have this completely, you know, diametrically opposed environment that you would say had a kind of tensity that really created something really beautiful for me to experience. So, you know, you had these two different worlds of your mom and your dad, your mother and your father that were pretty diametrically opposed in so many ways, but gave you this unique perspective on life. But I know from talking to you that you actually had a lot more influence from your mom in the sense that she actually helped you develop some of the abilities that you had. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I think it was less about her actively developing it and more that the environment that she chose to exist and live in created exposure to individuals that recognized things in me that were not talked about in my other reality. So the environment my mother had, there was no television, there were no, you only had books, you had to make your own fun. And it was very different than my father's house, which had, you know, the best of everything, the newest of everything. And so as a consequence, the make your own fun and experience things, you experience the individuals that were there. So as a child, I was surrounded by uh, people, one couple in particular that really stand out for me, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Pentecost. They were an elderly couple in their 90s uh, from Great Britain, uh, a small town outside of London. And she was a spiritualist and she was a psychic and she read uh, teacups and she read cards and she had people coming and going. And my mother would often just leave us with people that we didn't know, which was a little alarming uh, <laughs> and certainly made me kind of sensitive to my own personal safety. But some of these people were much more comforting to be with. And the Pentecost, Mr. and Mrs. P were fantastic. And she felt uh, when she met me that she was very interested and invited my mother to leave me there more often because she felt I was a quote unquote indigo child. So she began with saying to me, you know, you have an ability and she believed everyone did have a level of ability, but she believed that mine was quite heightened and that I should take the time to practice and learn. And so what she did is she had dominoes that she would lay out on the table, flipped over, and I would have to say what I thought that the domino number was. And so we would do this for quite a long time. And that led over time to some different things with certain cards that were not tarot cards at the time, but were sort of playing cards almost and the similar activities. And I believe that was really just to focus the knowledge that you got more energetically about what was in front of you or not in front of you. So what you couldn't see, but was there. And so I think that that had a profound impact on me as a child. And I realize now, as I listen to different things that I was exposed to music that was really rom, 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 rom. And you know, you know, Sri Ram, J Ram, J J Ram, like things that now I think, oh, I, I somehow know that. Right. And so there were environments that I quote unquote played in, but then it was very strange because I was told, now don't talk about this when you go back to your father's house mm. and I don't want his clothes here and I don't want his rhetoric here. 
So my father was quite different, which was your mother is a good person and you should spend time with her. And I was very alarmed, to be honest, because I think the way she handled things made me feel like something was to be ashamed of or mm-hmm. hidden about all of this. Right. So that also impacted me in the reverse way where although I understood these things and I felt them, I was reluctant to share that. And I'd be shut down a lot of times, particularly with her, if I said, that's not true what you're saying, or I feel this, or I know this. And she would say, why are you making this up if it didn't fit her narrative? So there was a lot of push and pull that I think made me question really how much I could integrate that. And I do believe that that led to you know, a greater propensity for illness throughout these different stages of my life as different traumas occurred. And I did get served my fair share. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a minute, Um, which I love that you have, that you can giggle about it and that you see it as just part of your journey, which is so beautiful and, and so empowering for so many people, including myself. But here's what's so interesting about what you said is that you're not from my experience anyway, having children who have a lot of intuitive abilities um, and probably having them myself, although, you know, my scientific mind gets in the way a lot, that many people are told that what you're seeing, what you're feeling when it comes to energy is not real or intuition or intuitive or psychic abilities, whatever you want to call them. Yet this has been the story of humans since the beginning of time, that there is this energy, you know, this idea that the energy body is the imprint for the physical body. Like we know that that's true. And so it's so interesting that, you know, you had the same experience of, you know, well, this is real when you're with these certain people and flipping dominoes and guessing cards. Um, and you can feel it and see it. But then when you go back to dad's house, can't talk about it. It doesn't exist, right? How confusing for somebody. I mean, I think it's confusing for anybody, but here's what's interesting is that you told me about your, I think it's your paternal grandfather. So you're on your father's side who actually had a really interesting influence on you. So tell us about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And again, you know, everything when you when you're living it in the moment, it's it's funny how that that expression, you can't see the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting now, my grandfather passed away at 95 years old uh, in 2005. So that's a long time ago now, but he is ever present every day. And, and I feel his energy because although he was very religious, he was also very spiritual. And I use those two words quite specifically because I do think that Religion is an aspect of spirituality, but spirituality is to me much bigger. And so I always referred to myself as a student of religion. And I would say I was raised Ukrainian Orthodox, but I am a student of all religion. And I actually took world religion as a minor in university because of my grandfather and his exposure. So although he was the primate and referred to as his Beatitude Metropolitan Vasily, was very open-minded and read about every type of uh, religion and saw the interconnections and spoke to me very much about spirituality. I think that what my grandfather was able to do was to help me see how that, that through the lens of faith, through whether it's the life of Buddha, the life of Christ, the life of whomever, the incarnation, how that leads the human experience and how every moment 
needs to be captured through this joy. And so he used to take me. So he, he, in a funny way, loved death. He found death to be hilarious. And I was appalled as a child, you know, and he would just say, well, what are you talking about? And he would call me Ustina, which is my Ukrainian name, Ustina. You're going to die. We're all going to die. And I would say, oh, but it's so terrible and it's so sad and, you know, all these kinds of things. And he would say, but it's natural. It's going to happen. It's natural. Right. And you have to accept it. And so he would visit very ill people in hospital and he would take me. And I remember one occasion where the person was very old. I mean, she may have been a hundred and she was already chain stokes breathing. And, you know, for, for listeners that don't know, that's the sort of breath um, method that happens right before you're going to pass. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're a doctor, you understand that better than me, but it's a, it's an unusual sound. And once you've heard it once, then you know it, you'll never forget it. Yeah. You'll never forget it. And so I walked in the room and I was alarmed. So like, just my energy was like, Oh my God, what is going on in this room? And I was scared. And I stood at the door and he said, come closer, come closer. And he's looking over and said a prayer and you know, was, was putting his hand on, on her and basically saying to her, you've lived a good life. Like you, you were a wonderful parishioner and you were generous to your family and all these really beautiful things that I listened to. And then he said, it's okay. You know, you can go into the arms of God and you've done everything you've come to do and saying mm-hmm. all these, you know, really beautiful things. And I was like, what is going on here? Is she dying? And I was afraid. And my grandfather kept saying, yes, it's completely normal. Listen to how she's breathing. He said, listen, and he was mimicking it. And I said, oh, stop it. Don't do that. And he laughed and he said, no, it's the end. That's how you know it's the end. But he had a smile on his face. And when he came to his own end, I kept saying, oh God, please, you can't die. Like, don't leave me. Oh my gosh, don't go. And he said, like, I'm going to die now. I mean, it's my time. I'm going to die. And oh my gosh, I'm not married. Please wait. Well, hurry up and get married. And then after I was married, oh my gosh, you know, you can't, you can't die now. I haven't had a baby. Hurry up. So my daughter was born. He died three months later, but he talked to me, you know, while he was still lucid, because there was a very short period where we lost him a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was kind of in the in-between, but while he was still quite lucid and I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss you so much. And he said, are you going to cry when I die? And I said, well, yes, I'm going to really cry. I'm going to really miss you. And he said, you're going to miss me. He said, well, you're going to be crying for yourself because I'm going to be fine. He said, so just remember that when you're crying, it's selfish. You're crying for your loss. I'm fine. And he said, where do you think I'm going to go? And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, where do you think I'm going to go? I'll always be there. I'll always be here. You know, and these very (laughs) spiritual, esoteric things that he would say to me and he would laugh. So I think I was lucky enough to receive the same sense of humor And he was my spiritual coach, really. Mm -hmm. And I would tell him, like, do you believe in this kind of thing? And do you think this psychic stuff is real? And he never disagreed with anything. He just said, you know, for our religion, these are the things that we're practicing. In the most challenging moments of my life, he gave me the most spiritual messages. He never uh, disagreed with the idea of energy. But to him, the interpretation came through the sacrifices and the life of Christ to a, a big degree. And so I am able to understand for those people that are offended sometimes by actions of Christian uh, groups. And I don't say that, I, I you know, it's sometimes people see the activity of some group that may associate with being Christian 
and not see into more of what really the life of Christ and other enlightened souls bring to earth for us to understand. And so he was able to interpret things for me in a way that I was never concerned about what was being said. I may be concerned about how some parishioners were acting Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and how some groups of people may perceive things, but never the actual faith-driven spiritual energy of the church. And so for me, I can go anywhere. Anybody wants to invite me to anything to do with their religion, I'm interested. Right. Because I'm interested to feel the energy of faith or not. Hmm. So that's a really important point that you're making is the energy of faith versus the energy of not faith. Or yeah. And 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 this is such a big thing because so many people think that energy medicine is is the work of witches or the devil or, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to say, because they think that it's not something that you can see and that it's at complete odds with religion. Um, and I think that th- that's sort of what you're trying to say is that your, your grandfather was able to teach you about energy through his faith and through looking at faith and religion and showing you that they're not completely separate, that they are, you know, that they have a place to be integrated. Um, and, and I think that that's so incredibly beautiful because I don't know that that's the experience for, for many people, especially in Western, um, religions, especially Eastern religions more so, but Western religions, not as much. Totally. And I was very much a student of Buddhism. I was very Mm -hmm. fascinated by the life of Buddha and all of the, like, and I, I was very interested in all these different world religions. And he was very encouraging of that because he said, the more that you understand, um, basically theology, the more you understand the, the study of all these things, the, the better you will be able to practice your own faith. That's the thing is whatever it is you're doing to be immersed in that energy is a form of meditation. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that, um, at the time, I may not have recognized all these interconnections, but I'm a huge Ram Das fan, like crazy off the charts, mm-hmm. love to listen to Ram Das. And many times Ram Das will say things and I'm like, oh my God, that's what my grandfather said exactly. Like the right. exact word, a similar story. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that is really when you start feeling energy. Yeah. And for me, there were two very poignant moments where I know that my grandfather transferred that energy to me to ensure that I did not lose my connection. And I think that those are, you know, the the things that my mother exposed me to, the the tensity and the challenges of two environments, this very deeply. And I spent more time with my grandfather than anybody. I traveled with him. I was with him and bishops and priests on trips. A lot of times in the Orthodox church, women aren't as welcome in certain aspects. Mm -hmm. And he would say to me, if you will serve the coffee and serve all the food, you can sit in the room and listen to the ecumenical council meetings. Just Mm -hmm. don't tell anybody that's what you're doing in here. But if you'll do the work, then we can talk about it after. So he, he exposed me to things and places and environments and conversations that I would never have had a chance to understand. Right. And so let's let's turn to how all of this sort of influenced your healing journey. So let's start with your healing journey um, with multiple sclerosis. So 
tell us about that and, and maybe from the beginning of what happened in your experience and how these early experiences with energy and spirit and faith impacted your journey. And so I'll, I'll anchor that in this first thing, which is at 21, I had a long time high school, college boyfriend. We, uh, he took me out on my 21st birthday, proposed to me and three weeks later died in a car crash. Mm. And I was actually at my grandfather's house with my maternal grandmother. And I felt something, I felt something that night and I was desperately calling him. This is before cell phones. So for those mm -hmm. that are listening to imagine a time where you actually had to be at a phone to receive a call, right. um, I couldn't reach him. And I became very panicked. And my grandmother and grandfather said, oh, don't worry, everything's fine. You know, just, just relax. But by the time I landed, uh, I basically, because my grandfather lived in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. By the time I landed um, back home, the message was, was to my grandfather, he was told, uh, and, and he got me to the airport and never said a word to me because they felt I should get on the plane without knowing, which was a good idea, but I landed basically into a nightmare. So I landed expecting him to pick me up only to find my dad there. And I did not believe that he had died. I was in a complete shock mm -hmm. and, uh, I didn't believe anyone. And I thought everyone was crazy. And I had to go to a payphone and call my grandfather. And he said to me, listen, you can be profoundly sad. We don't know why this happened. We will never know exactly why this happened, but there's a reason and we may never know, but you can be profoundly sad, but do not be angry. And that stuck with me. And I went through a very difficult 10 year period. Mm -hmm. And the reason I tell the story is to anchor it that, you know, I did go on to meet a wonderful man that is still my dearest friend and the father of, of my daughter. And we, we dated off and on for 10 years and we got married. And three months after we got married, I was diagnosed with MS. And what happened to me is I basically was away for work. I was, you know, aspiring C-suite exec, and I was very focused on my career and everything was about my career. So the loss of my you know, boyfriend, fiance led me down a path of, I'm just going to work. I'm going to be really focused. I'm going to be the most resilient, toughest, you know, best performer there can be. And I was at the, um, in New York, the world economic forum after nine 11, which was, you know, terribly jarring, mm -hmm. horrible time for everyone. The Davos moved nine 11, um, world economic forum to the Waldorf Astoria and to New York in solidarity with, with New York. And so I was there and this was a very big, important career time for me. And as I landed there with the, um, you know, incoming CEO for the firm I worked for, he said, okay, look, we've got to get to a black tie event. Hurry up. We got 30 minutes. I'll meet you down in the lobby. And I went up to my room and I could not feel my toes, my big toe and sort of my toes. Mm -hmm. And this was when Donna Karen had just introduced the support hose. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've squeezed myself into this thing. I'm <laughs> lost, losing my, losing lost my feeling. feeling. <laughs> Plus feeling because I've compressed my body so tightly into here. So I thought I'll take a hot bath. I jumped in the bathtub. And of course that exacerbated what then became, you know, my first MS flare up within 48 hours, I was completely paralyzed down the left side, rushed to the hospital and told you have one of four things, a mass in your brain, a tumor in your spine, lupus or MS. Hmm. And truthfully speaking, Avanti, in that moment, I was like, are you kidding me? 
I've already had this crazy life. I'm 31 years old. Now I'm paralyzed and have some kind of multiple sclerosis. Like how much more Mm -hmm. can I take? And there was this moment of, I just want to give up. And then something bigger than me said, you can't ever give up. Like this, whatever this is, this is yours. But I had this like almost dueling sense. And then of course, what happened? I burst out laughing and I turned to the doctors and said, okay, so I have one of four things. And they said, you have one of four things. And I said, okay, I'll take MS. And they said, it's not a, um, a la carte menu. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know. I know the other three. And like, I don't want you to shave my head. That thing with this like spinal, that's scary. Lupus, I do know I, that's pretty tough. I don't know what multiple sclerosis is. That sounds the least terrible. I'll take that one. Hmm. And they kind of like, and I kept laughing and they kind of were like, you know, this woman is very, they kept saying, you're a very unusual patient. So every time I've been right. in a hospital, they think I'm unusual because I'm very happy. So it's not that I was happy to be sick, but what choice did I have? And there I was. And so it did end up being multiple sclerosis and it became quite a uh, debilitating, difficult journey, both mentally, physically, and spiritually. I lost my mobility completely many times. I suffered from bladder control and bladder issues. I had violent headaches. MS, it's very ridiculous. It's very random. You really don't know what's going to happen. Everybody's course is different, but there is intersection. We all experience some, you know, equal things. I had some cognitive issues, memory type Mm -hmm. things where I'd have to play games to try to keep things straight. Uh, So I really did have uh, a very difficult course. And for 10 years, I resisted truly accepting it. So I tried a lot of different Eastern things early on. Mm -hmm. I think more for the spiritual mental side, but I was still not totally accepting of myself. And so I think the things we talked about earlier, where I almost felt shy to say that I was exploring these different energetic things and the people around me were kind of like, you know, what are you talking about? Right. So I didn't have a a community. Like, I mean, beyond, we have a community of people that all are, are explorers. Right. So I had lost that and I had really rejected some of that after Jim had passed away. I became deeply, you know, involved in certain kinds of readings and, and got very, you know, deeply involved because of the loss of him to keep that energetic connection as real as I could. I think I was exploring kind of, you know, leaving this plane and wanting to be, you know, sleeping all the time and being elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so I was not really set for the kind of commitment I needed to make to myself and the release I needed to do. And so I dabbled in a lot of different things. I tried meditating, but I really didn't at that early stage. I was too overwhelmed by my personal circumstance to really embrace the things that eventually I think became important. And I was, I was lying to people. I was pretending I was fine. I didn't tell people that I had multiple sclerosis. Um, If I had to walk with a cane, I didn't go places. Uh, And it was relapsing remitting in the beginning. And so I was, Mm -hmm. you know, able to remit and then walk, but sometimes with a bit of a limp. And I just, I wanted to hide that and hiding anything 
takes all your energy. So I was tired, but it had MS fatigue and I was hiding things and, 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 and. So it was a struggle. And I explored different diets and different things. And some things started to help me and right. nourish me, but I would emotionally lose my way many times through other difficult circumstances. So I have a, a question for you here is that the first 10 years, you just kind of lived with the diagnosis thinking you could do all these different things, trying things, but not committing, right? But and not nothing- committing and hiding it also, but because of right. your experience as a kid, like hiding that you were doing these other things, other, you know, uh, air quotes, other things that might've been energetic and then not committing it to anything. So now tell us where you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was doing like, I'll give you a real example. Like when I lost mobility in both legs, my daughter was eight months old. After she was born, I had a massive flare up, lost mobility in both legs and was stuck in bed for a period of time. I did meditative color meditation. I have a wonderful library of all these different books that I've had for years and years and years. And I had one on color therapy, meditative healing. So I read the book and then I started to go back into what I'd learned as a child and go back into this level of meditation, access Mm -hmm. all that. And I did regain my mobility. Um, Not to the same degree I once had, but I did regain my mobility and Mm -hmm. I reduced the pain and things like that. So it wasn't until sort of everything had fallen apart and I had some really crisis in my personal life. And I really hit a point of just, you know, the dark, the dark night of the soul, as people like to say, but just a really dark time. And Mm -hmm. so that's where a friend of mine said, look, I don't understand you. You're a deal maker. You negotiate all these big sports deals. If I could, if I could give you information that would help you negotiate a deal better, would you refuse it? And I said, no. And he said, well, then why wouldn't you try like these other drugs that are out there or at least explore it? And that's when I ended up going to UCSF um, Sandler Institute. This doctor, and this is why I think the Western-Eastern combination and integration is so important. This doctor's energy and heart was so big. Mm -hmm. He looked me in my eyes and said, I know you don't want to take any medication and I don't blame you. And this this is the researcher that created this. And he said, I wouldn't want to either. It, but here you are, and here you are at a point where if I can, he said, Justine, if I can hold you where you are right now with this, you know, monoclonal chemobiologic and just keep you like this, then maybe one day soon, I believe we'll be able to remyelinate. And I want to have you be in that position. So why not give it a try? And I'm telling you, I would never have agreed had he not transferred that loving kindness to me. And in that moment, I said, I will do it. And it was not easy to tolerate in the beginning. And I, like my body didn't want it. My body would go like, which is really funny because my body um, or the body, this body, as you, as you teach me. So this body did not want those drugs. So this body brought its blood pressure way, way down, its heart rate way, way down. Like I was almost hibernating. And so the medical staff would have to unhook me multiple times. And so it took me a long time to get infused because um, this particular body said, what are you doing? I don't want this. Stop. So it, it was a bit of a journey in the beginning, but because of my belief in that loving kindness he had and my belief that he loved and cared for all his patients and 
the bigger world. Uh, I stayed on this therapy. I pursued other uh, dietary exercise. I really started feeding and nourishing myself and regaining my sense of who I was with MS. So I integrated it. I began talking about it, being acknowledged and sharing basically you know, two life mottos that I adopted. One was Jack Kerouac, be in love with your life every single minute, mm-hmm. which is sometimes hard to do when you're dealing with a lot of chronic pain mm-hmm. and trauma. Mm-hmm. And the other one is Bob Marley's free yourself from mental slavery. Only ourselves can free our mind from redemption song. And I would speak to groups and I still do. And I talk about this and I would make a joke at the end and say, listen, you know, um, I've just shared with you this, you know, difficult story, these moving moments. But I have to be honest with you, I've just told you that my life motto, you know, was that I follow are after two guys that were stoned their entire lives. <laughs> and so people would always laugh, right? Like, but again, because laughter right. and joy is so much a part of this. So every time I got infused with this drug, um, I would say to, to, you know, the cells inside the body, I need you to change. I need you to be healthy. I need you to help me. This is this is going to make me a superhero. This is going to change me. I'm going to be a superhero. That's what's happening. I'm getting, you know, like those sci-fi movies. I'm getting infused to become the stronger, better, more generous person. And so I found so much empathy in my own journey, but in those around, Mm -hmm. because to be immobilized like that, to lose your mobility, to be on certain drugs and have to be taken down to be built back up can be very difficult. And it became an important uh, journey for me for 10 years. I still walked with a cane, but mentally and spiritually, I was much more aligned. I still had symptoms. I still had difficulty. And then the pandemic hit. I was very isolated. So I was completely alone Mm -hmm. uh, in my home. And as you recall, it was a weird energetic time. It It was it was a weird energetic time. And I mean, if, if aliens had landed and said, all right, we're, we're taking you back to where you've come from, that would not have surprised me in the slightest. It was just, right. it, it was a very weird time. And so I found myself kind of a bit lost, but I found myself wanting to go back to more of an energetic experience. And I started reading all my books and reading, 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 studying, um, you know, looking at, looking at books of Sanskrit and trying to like really going deep into things that many people might say, what on earth would this, what would like, why would you do this? But it was my way, right. It was my way of disconnecting from the panic and the fear for me as an empath, that was just overwhelming. And so I just sort of exited into myself, but it's the first time I truly exited the world totally into myself. And I started to do chakra based meditative journeying, healing, pineal gland, like decalcification, these kinds of things, not thinking it would have any impact on my MS, thinking it would just help me better connect back to myself and to manage my fear and to just help me explore this weird time. And lo and behold, a month and a half into it, I started feeling my toes and feeling my foot and not having to use the restroom so much. And it took me quite a couple months to realize, wait a minute, I actually don't seem to have any MS symptoms. 
And I was walking around my house and I thought, wow, this is weird. Like I don't, like I could walk around my house before, but I would periodically hold on to something. And in this case, I really was just walking around. And so I started to realize this and I contacted my doctors and then they did uh, Zoom, like neurological tests. And eventually UCSF said, would you be willing to fly to San Francisco? It was maybe eight or nine months after I had seemed to recover things. And they examined me in a very you know, careful COVID environment with the clinic was closed. They opened it up. They had two people. And interestingly, I got in the MRI machine and I still had all the lesions in my spine and in my brain, but no symptoms. And so that was April of 2020. And now here we are. Now I still had though a kind of fear that it was going to come back. So I was quite, quite afraid. And I really do think that my finding beyond when I did and being immersed in a community that had this kind of overlay of energy allowed me to go so much deeper into the journey I was on. And so that idea of you know, the fear part is gone. The recognition though, that the symptoms and the disease were and are real, but, but, you know, the question is what healed me? You know, people say, well, tell me what you did. I mean, I did do these meditations and continued to do it very faithfully as a practice. I did take Western drugs for 10 years, very faithfully. I did eat a very clean, healthy, nourishing diet. I had a lot of movement and exercise, fresh air. I dealt with and, you know, worked with a, a Buddhist compassion therapist to release trauma. So I did all kinds of things to change my human condition. And all of it led me to one conclusion, which is that the energy and the empathic and the ability to access your energy source and clean it, have pure energetic hygiene is truly what our journey requires all the time. So there's no, well, I'm done now. And right. so when people say, wow, my God, like you're so whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so messy and I'm so fragmented and I'm constantly learning and I'm eyeballs wide open every day in sort of wonderment. So I now though, accept synchronicity. I accept the energy I feel. I accept some of, you know, the quote unquote crazy ideas that enter my mind mm -hmm. as they're meant to be. And so what's so interesting about what you're saying is that you have been down this path of no medication, trying all these different things, kind of not committing to anything. Then starting medication, then doing the diet and the mindset and all of these different things. And that ultimately where you've come out is sort of where you started, <laughs> you know, this idea that there is this energy that we all, that we all have within us and that surrounds us. So you're talking about the loving kindness that came from your physician and came from the people around you that impacted you, the community that you're in now at beyond and other places that impacts you. The, you know, the idea that you are constantly 
um, in this place of trying to clear your energy, to remove the blockages, because it sounds like you have a very clear sense that the energy body is, is the blueprint for the physical body. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think, I think the energy body is a blueprint. I mean, you understand medicine much better than I do, but as a patient and as a human being on the journey, mm-hmm. I, my personal experience has been one of understanding, and my doctors will use this language, that they believe my positive attitude fueled my, my good health. Yes. And I never, I never accepted that I was sick. When someone would say, oh, I feel so bad because you're so sick. And I would say, well, I'm not sick. I have multiple sclerosis. Hmm. So I didn't want the moniker of sick, but I was fine with multiple sclerosis because sick to me was something different. I mean, I know it's just a word, but when you think I'm sick, then you are definitely telling yourself that you're not well. Right. So I understood that I had a very serious chronic quote unquote, incurable condition. But even those things to me seemed almost impossible to believe. And so I think that I had a disbelief, but the journey of integrating the various components of medicine was very important to my healing. So I don't attribute any one thing because they were layered. Yes. And so I don't know much of the things or how they interacted, but I know they did. And so I'm a big proponent of experience and try different aspects of what medically can be offered to you or spiritually can be offered to you. Be in environments that make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Eat food that makes you feel good. Yes. Be with people that make you feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, forgive yourself, cut yourself some slack. So what I say to myself now I mean, I, I was not in love with myself at all. So this self of mine now, I'm madly in love. I mean, just crazy in love with. And, and so there no are, one. And there are that. a lot of people who are in love with you because of that. So me included, <laughs> I mean, you know, um, and you know, everything that you've said, I, I have not said much on this interview because I'm fascinated by your story and it is exactly the healing journey that I hope all of us can go on of this one of discovery of being open to so many things of trying something it not working, trying something else, but always trying to go back to what our inner voice is saying, even if we're getting that information from other people, you know, the people around us are saying, Oh, what you're doing is crazy. Or your friends saying, why are you not even looking into Western medicine? Right. Like having Mm -hmm. those people, but then ultimately coming back to what we believe inside. I think that that's so important. And that's the basis of all the work I do is this idea of listening to that inner whisper that you have. And I think your story so beautifully exemplifies just that of, and, and the trial and error that happens with that, that it's not this easy rainbows mm-hmm. and your unicorns, you know, type of, um, journey that it is a lot of stops and starts a lot of, you know, uh, trials and tribulations and, you know, mistakes or down the wrong path or whatever it is for your healing. I guess there's not wrong path, but you know, the trial and error that comes with it. And so I think it's, it's messy. It is messy. It's, it's messy. And, and you're part of my journey now. And I think that's important for us to acknowledge as, as we're, you know, in the, 
the sort of final stages of, of conversation that my interest in Ayurveda and understanding that that there there still felt for me some aspects that weren't as energetically aligned as I would like them to be. And then sometimes we just have this feeling of, I'm just not sure, but something's not a hundred percent right. Mm-hmm. And you've been able to identify for me a few very powerful changes to my, you know, daily life and things that I could do to really strengthen that energy. And so that's been very transformative. And I, you know, I've tried to explain it to a couple of people and they're kind of looking at me like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and I think, I think that, I think that's also important for listeners to understand that what you do has a, a very complex depth to it, mm-hmm. but the solutions are very simple. So it's, it's a very minor adjustment in, in a lot of ways, or it may be a major commitment Mm-hmm. to to making certain kinds of change but it all comes down to accepting and then having that conversation with the body to say this is how we're going to operate mm-hmm. so there are things for me I, I have always been fortunate that um this tiny body i was given does have a lot of uh strength to it and mm-hmm. so I have joked with people that my spirit animal is the Punisher from the Marvel comics, because no matter how hard <laughs> he gets beaten, he always gets back up. So I tell people, look, you can come at me as hard as you want and you can say or do whatever you'd like, but I will still get back up mm-hmm. because I just will. Even if I don't want to, I can't help myself. And so I do think that helping yourself Yes. Is the hardest thing. And some of that helping yourself is find the right therapist that fits for you. Right. Take take yoga, join some kind of art class, garden, take a walk, explore Ayurveda, find out how it can change you. Mm-hmm. Don't even have to know what it is. Just say, you know what? I would like to experience something right. that I don't understand. Right. And the benefits of that. So I was always morbidly curious. So there's nothing that I'm not interested in. I have been extremely curious my whole life as a kid. I was that annoying. Well, why? Well, why? Well, what about that? What is that? Well, why? That's a wonderful way to be. It is. Because you just find out all kinds of things. Now, I really appreciate you saying that my story is very inspiring. And whatever. To me, it seems so not interesting at all, <laughs> which is actually so funny because people say, oh my goodness, that's very motivational. And I'm like, Really? Because to me, it's like, I get up every day. I live on a 24 hour clock and I say, all right, world, what do you got for me today? You know, and I think that, I think that it's inspiring because you have gone down this journey of so many trials and errors and, you know, starts and stops, but it's because you've gone through a human experience that so many of us can identify with parts of your story. You know, I've, Mm -hmm. I've not experienced MS but I've experienced other things, other health challenges, other family health challenges. And so I identify with so many parts of your story. And I think that that's what's so inspiring, which is sort of, I guess, the whole point of all of this is that, you know, we're all humans that are on this journey and we have so many commonalities um, if we're just willing to share that. And so I, I so appreciate you sharing so openly and honestly about your experiences as a kid and your experiences through this whole healing journey of yours. Um, 
But I wanted to ask you one last question, if we could. For sure. If I offer up the phrase to you to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? Well, the first thing that came up for me is when I was getting those infusions, how I talked to the experience and self-talked and and sent myself as much healing and, and the belief that I could change my whole cellular composition. So scientifically, I truly believed that by getting rid of my B cells, that I was reprogramming everything in my body and I could get a second chance. So to me, catalyzing is enabling the spiritual side of your energy system to integrate with whatever it is that you're doing. So whether it's a Western drug, whether it's your exploring meditation or your faithful meditator, whatever it is, I think the catalyzing is the actual like flame to object. Mm -hmm. And so you can have object and you can have flame, but like until you put things together, you may not have started the inferno. And the one thing about me is I'm very passionate. So I'm ragingly happy or I'm ragingly sad, but Mm -hmm. I'm really not, you know, I'm, I'm really not a flatliner. I'm one way. And I would rather people be passionate towards me than be indifferent. So mm-hmm. that energy for me of, of catalyzing something is really turning that fire on really high. Mm. So beautiful. Justine, thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you. You know what I think we just did, Avanti? I think we did what Ram Das always talks about, which is we walked each other home. Because mm. he says we're all just walking each other home. And I feel like you just walked me home and I just walked you home. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's the most beautiful thing that someone's ever said to me in a very long time. So thank you. I feel that way. Thank you. What a beautiful experience. Thank you for this wonderful Monday. Oh, you're so welcome. We'll do it again. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.